This is Heal Your Body, Mind, and Spirit, Episode Heart Cleaning and Repair, with Barbara O'Neill. The proverb says, keep the heart with all diligence, because out of it are the issues of life. We need to keep the heart with all diligence, because when it stops, we stop. The number one killer in the industrialized nations today is heart disease. So what I'd like to look at in this presentation is how you can keep your heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. What are the issues of life? The Bible says in Leviticus 17.11 that the life of the flesh is in the blood. The blood is life because the blood contains nutrients. It contains oxygen. It contains water. It brings the white blood cells to the area. It is the life of the flesh. Every part of our body is alive because it's being bathed moment by moment with blood. It takes one minute for one drop of blood to go around your whole body. In Australia, we have sheep. We have huge sheep farms, some of them tens of thousands of acres. This is when it's nearing the middle of Australia, the more dry areas. And it's very hard for a farmer to keep an eye on his 10,000 sheep, maybe even more. So what they do is they take the tail off because if the tail stays on the sheep, then in that, in that moist, uh, hot environment, uh, because that's where the feces come out and get stuck, then blowflies can lay their maggots there and, you know, mess. <laughs> so they find it's much easier just to take the tail off and then the, the air can get into the area. So what they do is they put a little ring at the top of the tail and it might take a week or two but the tail eventually falls off. Why does it fall off? Because that little ring stopped the blood. The blood is the life of the flesh. Any area where there is no blood, eventually there will be no life. So when, when the Bible says, keep the heart with all diligence, this is Proverbs 4.23, because out of it are the issues of life, he's talking about the blood. So there's two things we need to look at here. We need to look at blood and we need to look at the heart. The heart is the pump that pumps the blood all through the body. And in a previous presentation, I looked at how all the blood capillaries all through the body have a muscular surrounding so that when that heart pumps, and by the way, the heart is a muscle, when that heart pumps, there's a reverberation all through the body. We also talked about the second heart. Do you remember the second heart? Keep the second heart with all diligence too. It's your calf muscles. So just even up and down, up and down, even just like this. And when you just move your foot like this, your, your second heart, that's why they tell you to do that on the plane because you're sitting for a long period of time, you know, 15 hours from Australia to here, so that that second heart is pumping the venous system back to the heart. So let's have a look at how we can keep the heart with all diligence. It's a muscle and muscles get strong through use. So number one, we'll look at the heart. The biggest muscle booster is exercise. You will see as we go through our investigation of how to, how to keep the heart with all diligence 
that we will be going little by little through the eight laws because they are the true remedies. And exercise is the most potent booster of pure air. So every sing single one of those heart muscle cells needs to be strengthened by exercise, but also that exercise brings in that air and you will remember from a previous presentation that if a, if a cell has oxygen, it's gonna give 18 times more energy. Let's go into the cell because going into the cell shows us how this all works. So we've got the glucose coming in it goes through a 20-step pathway and the 20-step pathway delivers to us two units of energy. Now that is the anaerobic pathway. An anaerobic pathway is a pathway that doesn't use oxygen. It produces energy by the process of fermentation. The end result of that 20-step pathway is a chemical form of glucose called pyruvate. And pyruvate, as the chemical form of glucose, gets fed into the powerhouse we looked at the powerhouse a few times. This is the glycolytic pathway, not using oxygen. This is the uh, mitochondria and the eight steps specifically is the Krebs cycle and it uses oxygen. So this, this is the aerobic pathway and it gives us 36 units of energy. We also looked at how the membrane around the cell is a bilayered membrane. And inside that membrane are sodium-potassium pumps. And these sodium-potassium pumps are responsible for maintaining the sodium and potassium levels in and out of the, of the cell. The highest concentration of potassium is found inside the cell. Sodium comes in its high concentrations outside the cell. Sodium is found inside the cell, but it is in smaller amounts. So it's, it's potassium that has the highest amount inside the cell. And when our body is working as it should be, that, that functions very, very nicely. So what does exercise do? How does it strengthen the heart? It strengthens the heart by use. Because when you are exercising, you start to challenge every single muscle in the body and it gets strong by challenges. The most effective exercise is the high intensity interval training and the high intensity interval training is the form of exercise that has the most powerful effect on the heart muscle because it has the most powerful effect on all muscles. The high intensity interval training are intervals of high intensity, intervals of recovery, and done for a cycle of, usually done for a cycle. So let's have a look at what Doug, Dr. Doug McCuff found in his book, Body by Science. And he's a, he's a heart doctor, so he was looking for an exercise that was the most powerful in strengthening his patient's heart. He did it on himself first. He was very happy with the results. In fact, he was almost surprised at the results because of the effect that it had. The high intensity he maintains is the most potent when you do it for 30 seconds and then you can have a 90 second recovery time and that's usually done for a cycle of six. So Doug McCuff says all you need is 12 minutes a day. Now I'm going to be very gracious and give you 15. 15 minutes a day. 
There are 24 hours in the day. 15 minutes is not much. If you do not think you have time to exercise, it's time to assess what you do with your time. Write down, if you don't think you have time to do this, you've got to write down, you've got to sit down, you've got to write down what you do with your time. How long does it take to eat? It doesn't take that long to eat, does it? I'm usually done in half an hour at the most. Sleep, oh yes, eight hours, hopefully. Hopefully you are sleeping for eight hours and you'll find out that that's very important for the heart. So, so what, what else is left in the day? What, what, what else have you got? Because if you want to keep your heart with all diligence, it's a not negotiable, you've you got to exercise. So I'm, I'm giving you a form of exercise that unfortunately now you've heard this, you've got no excuse. <laughs> You've got to exercise. And remember what Dr. Doug McGuff did this for, for his heart patients. He wanted a form of exercise that was reachable, that was doable. So what's the high intensity? It can change from person to person. It's actually whatever you can do. What my husband and I do, we run up hills. And when I'm running up the hills and I get to 20 seconds, my body says, that'll do. When I get to 25 seconds, my body says, this is getting a little bit silly. When I get to 30 seconds, that's when I am breathing very, very deeply. In fact, if I didn't count, I don't think I'd actually get to that. And then recovery time. What's recovery time? Recovery it's going a lot slower. So for Michael and I, this is when we walk down the hills. Most of the research for the high intensity interval training has been done on the exercise bike. So if you're on an exercise bike, you go as hard and fast as you can. Please count, remember, one and two and three and four and count, because you probably won't get to that if you don't. And then when you're in recovery time, then you cycle nice and slow. You're getting your breath back and you'll know when it's time to go back to the high intensity because your breath will be once again back to normal and your heart rate will have slowed right down. Then it's time to go again. Now if you can't get to 30 seconds that's perfectly fine because this changes. As you get stronger, as your heart gets stronger you'll find you'll be able to go a little bit more, but your fitness is actually determined by your recovery time. So note how much high intensity you can handle. Note how much time you take to recover. Write it down because it will be of great encouragement to you as the weeks and months go by when you see the changes that your body is making. Your heart is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. What if you can't run? exercise bike. What if you don't have an exercise bike? Uh, please look for one because <laughs> if you have ankle, knee or hip problems it's the best because you're sitting. And if you have a little problem with balance it's the best because you're holding on. And remember muscle knows no age. Whether you're 9 or 90 you can have strong muscles. My offsider Amelia, who worked with me for five years, she had an app on her phone. She's in her late 30s. Where is she now? She married. <laughs> so she left us, oh, I don't know, about 18 months ago. It was a very sad day. But we, we do realise it can't be forever. On her phone she has an app and she has two photographs. And they're both of 80-year-old women. 
And one 80-year-old woman is hunched over with a walking stick, bit overweight, hardly able to walk. And the other photograph is of a black American woman and she's got a, a like a sports bra top on and then she's just got tracksuit pants on and you can count her abs. And she's standing there like this. <laughs> well, they're both 80. And Amelia's question then comes up, you choose. You choose. What if you are the lady that is a little hunched down? Well, the good news is you can change that. You may not change it in a week and you may not change it in two weeks. And you may not even change it dramatically within a few months. But remember when we looked at the mind, where there's a will, there's a way. If you say you can, you will. And if you say you can't, you won't. We are often our own worst enemy. Just do it. I thank God that he's just given us one day at a time. You know what the Bible says? Take no thought of tomorrow. Concentrate on now. Enjoy now. Love this moment. If you love this moment, I've got some good news. You'll get the best out of that moment. And in a minute, we're going to get another moment. And in a minute, we're going to get another moment. So love this moment. And this moment, I trust when you hear this, you will make decisions on how you can keep your heart with all diligence. And the high intensity interval training is what will give you the most for your time. It is the best health insurance you can make. The dividends you receive far exceed the effort that you put into it. My son Peter's a, a tiler, has his own business now. But when he was a young tiler, he had to take a vanity unit out of an old bathroom. It was about the 50s vanity unit and it had a big chip on the side. As he was getting it out, it slipped and it hit his ankle. And as soon as it hit his ankle, the blood hit the roof. He, call, he fell down and he called out to my other son, James, quick. James said, I'm on the phone. Peter said, crisis. <laughs> Isn't that what you say when you want someone to come quickly? And I tell you that James was on the phone because James didn't get in for a minute or two. And by the time James came in, James told me that the whole of the ceiling was splattered with blood. This beautiful design of little spots all over the ceiling, all over the walls. James immediately, well, Peter had already clamped, clamped, the, clamped the spurting <laughs> blood vessel, bound him up, took him to hospital. They took his pulse. It was 50 beats per minute. The nurse couldn't believe it. Why was Peter's pulse 50 beats per minute? Well, Peter was training for a triathlon. I think Peter was about 23, 24 at the time. He was running up and down the hills behind Brisbane every night. And when you run up and down hills, you're getting that high intensity interval training. It's the most powerful form of exercise there is. The majority of trainers today are training their athletes in the high intensity interval training. It's shorter and yet it's more powerful than any other form of exercise. Peter's heart was so strong now that it was beating at 50 beats per minute. And that's why the blood hit the roof. His, his heart was so strong that one beat gave so much blood, 
He didn't have to beat a lot. <laughs> so you, you actually determine that. You, you choose that. And you choose that by how much exercise you do. No, Peter didn't do the triathlon. <laughs> the doctor stitched up the cut. Aren't we glad for doctors who have, have the ability to, to do fine surgery? Surgery has come a long way. And Peter was very thankful for the lignocaine that deadened the area. Absolutely. You know, we, we appreciate the drugs in the crisis. We appreciate the doctors, the paramedics. In all of these presentations, we're not talking about that. We're talking about how you can keep your body in good working order without having to go to the drugs. Yes, they can save a life, but they all have side effects. So long term can be dangerous. So the type of exercise that is the best heart builder is the high intensity interval training. You might find push-ups. You might find, if you can't do push-ups on the ground, uh, do it on the wall. And after a while, come further out and further out. And then eventually you'll be able to go on the, on the floor. Remember, Rome wasn't built in a day. Little by little by little, build your body up. That's why in his book, uh, Pace, Dr. Al Sears shows that the meaning of the word pace is progressive acceleration, cardiopulmonary exercise. Progressive, this changes. The fitter you get, the more you will be able to do for the less effort. So the exercise is vital. The high intensity interval training is the one that will do it. But let me take you inside the cell and show you why it is so powerful to strengthen the heart. Earlier in the week, we looked at how there's a little bunch of grapes called glycogen stores. This is, the, this is where you will get the glucose on your morning high intensity interval training is from your glycogen stores. You see, when the glucose first goes in, it goes through the 20 step pathway to give you energy. Now, if there's more glucose left over, it gets stored like this little bunch of grapes as glycogen. And if there's even more left over, then it gets stored in the fat cells. That's how the process works. When you're doing the high intensity interval training, the glycogen stores start to get plucked. The 20 step pathway speeds up and it's a very fast pathway. And the eight-step pathway speeds up, it's a lot slower. And when you're starting to move, and move very, very fast, both pathways speed up. There's a rate-setting enzyme in there that will always keep the eight-step slower. And so more pyruvate is being made than can be fed. It can be fed into the little powerhouse. And so the body stores it as lactic acid. When you're in recovery time, slowly walking down the hill. Maybe if it's on the rebounder, just the, the health bounce or slowly cycling. When you're in recovery time, your liver converts the lactic acid back to pyruvate and feeds it in the powerhouse. That's one of the reasons the high intensity is such a powerful form of exercise. It mops up the lactic acid and it keeps that steady rate even when you are in recovery time. And when the glycogen stores run out, then the fat stores start to be released. So you don't have to eat before you do your exercise. In fact, you're best not eating before your exercise because if you do, 
you'll create a little bit of a war between the muscle cells who are needing the energy to run up the hill and the stomach who needs that energy to digest your meal. The only reason you might have trouble on your morning walk is if you're dehydrated, so the water is important. So with exercise, we'll define the high intensity interval training. And I know everyone's going to do it because everyone's got 15 minutes. Water, how much? Eight to 10 glasses a day. Now what that eight to 10 glasses a day will do is it will uh, keep that issue of life nice and thin, your blood, but it will also help to pump. It makes it a lot easier for the blood to pump. It makes it a lot easier for the heart to pump the blood when it is nice and thin. It's the best blood thinner in the world is water. If you're finding that a little bit much, start early. Always have it by your bed. This is what I do. When I wake up in the morning, a little crystal of salt, and this is the next one, the Celtic salt, and we'll, we'll look at why that is so in a minute. The Celtic, a little crystal of Celtic salt, and I have half a glass of water. I go to the bathroom, I have another half glass of water. Then I get dressed. Then I, because it's my second glass, I have another little bit of salt, and I have half a glass of water. Then I'll pray. Then I'll have another half glass of water. Now I'm up to my third glass. I'm doing my Bible study. I have another little bit of salt. Before every glass, so that can be eight or ten times a day, I have that little bit of Celtic salt. Why do I have that little bit of Celtic salt? I have that little bit of Celtic salt because it contains three magnesiums. And magnesium is required to get the water into the cell. So when I have that little bit of salt, and then that glass of water, that pulls the water inside the cell. And this is the CBD. <laughs> this is where the body needs that fluid. When people have swollen ankles, swollen legs, it's usually an indication that the water is not getting inside the cell. One lady who had a tendency to swollen legs, she said to me, if I don't drink enough water, my legs swell much more. There are three magnesiums in the Celtic salt. You see, seawater has 92 minerals. It's called an isotonic solution because it is the exact same mineral proportion and balance as is found in the, in the blood, in the fluids of the body. In fact, in the war, the Navy used to transfuse with seawater if they were short on blood because the body converts it very quickly to blood. The first crystals formed when the water's evaporated from seawater is sodium chloride. Sodium makes up about 30% of these minerals and chloride makes up approximately 50%. They're the first crystals formed, so what man does is he scoops up those crystals, bleaches it white, puts aluminium with it so it flows freely, 
Well, it'll flow very freely if it doesn't have the magnesium because magnesium is a water-hungry molecule that causes the salt to be moist. So now we have table salt. Table salt is a dangerous salt. The doctor is right. Table salt will cause your blood pressure to rise because table salt is an imbalanced salt. It only has the two minerals. These are such harsh minerals. If you were to inject them into the person, they would die. They're such harsh minerals, they kill the taste buds. No wonder people put table salt on everything, even before they taste the food, because these two harsh minerals can kill the taste buds. So when we put that little crystal of Celtic salt on our tongue and then have the water, the mucous membranes in the mouth absorb those minerals and you have the water and the magnesium pulls the water inside the cell. Something else happens when you pull the water inside the cell. There's a little motor in the membrane around the cell and when the water rushes through, it stimulates the movement of that little motor and you get, a, you get a little bit of energy. So when everyone's going outside to have their cigarette or their coffee for a little bit of a, a lift mid-morning in the office, just have your Celtic salt and your, and your water and you'll experience that little bit of a lift. Dr. Lelangri is a French doctor who's written a whole book on salt. He says when someone comes to him with high blood pressure, he always puts them on the Celtic salt. You see, Celtic salt has 82 minerals. It's a balanced salt. It's salt the way God meant us to have it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, the Bible says, Ye are the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. Oh, strong words. If the salt has lost its savour. This is old English. How does salt lose its savour? I'd like to suggest that this salt has lost its savour. It's lost the other 90 minerals. So where are the other 10 here? They're in such pico proportions, barely measurable, that it's inevitable that some are lost in the evaporation process. So I thought you might be surprised to hear me say the Celtic salt is important to keep the heart with all diligence and even the issue of life coming out of it. Have you ever tasted your blood? It's salty. We need salt. Let me show you how table salt gets the blood pressure up. If someone's having table salt on everything and they're not having enough potassium, where do we find our potassium in all your fresh fruits and vegetables? On our table, we have salt and pepper. The pepper is cayenne pepper and the salt is Celtic salt. And cayenne pepper is quite high in potassium too. But there are a lot of people today that, that don't have many fresh fruit and vegetables and they're having too much salt. So what happens is the potassium levels start to drop and the sodium levels inside the cell start to rise. The potassium and sodium pumps are struggling to try and keep the balance purely because they're lacking potassium and there's too much sodium coming in. And osmosis and diffusion happens when the highest concentration merges into the lower. What happens when sodium levels rise in the cell? That cell swells. There's your high blood pressure. 
So the doctor is right, the table salt is a big contributing factor to high blood pressure, but the Celtic salt, it can help to balance the pressure in and out of the cell, thus helping to resolve high blood pressure. High blood pressure is one of the signs that the heart is not being kept with all diligence, neither the issues of life. So the Celtic salt is important. The right food is important. We should be having high fibre. High fibre, there's all your plant foods, especially your vegetables, especially your, your greens. Let me show you why the greens are very important. And in this bit, we're going to be talking about the, yes, not only the heart, but also the issue of life, the blood. Here is the molecular structure of human blood. Here is the molecular structure of plant blood. They look identical, don't they? But there is a difference. In plant blood, the middle molecule is magnesium. In human blood, the middle molecule is iron. That's the only difference. So when you're having lots of greens, even to the point of drinking green barley every day, maybe some chlorophyll, super greens, you're not only strengthening the blood, you are increasing your magnesium. You are increasing your magnesium when you have the Celtic salt. Magnesium is the ultimate muscle relaxer. You see, your heart, it pumps because of calcium and magnesium. Calcium constricts, magnesium relaxes. Calcium constricts, magnesium relaxes. That, that's how it goes. So when you're having nice amounts of magnesium, it helps to relax the heart at rest. And in blood pressure, that, that bottom reading is what the doctor looks for. Your high one is your systolic and your low one is your diastolic. And when it goes above 90, that's when the doctor gets concerned. If you're ensuring adequate amounts of magnesium through eating lots of green vegetables by having the Celtic salt with its three magnesiums, then that encourages the heart to relax more at rest. So back to food. What else in food? High fibre, generous proteins. So where do we get our proteins from? The Garden of Eden diet tells us very clearly. God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in the which, of the tr in the which is a fruit bearing seed. To you it shall be for meat. This is the main substance. You see, the three essential food groups are fiber, proteins and fats. So seed, it's like the chicken's egg. What have you got in seed? They're your whole grains. What you've also got as a seed is your legumes, your lentils, chickpeas, lima beans, black-eyed beans. I found that that's the hardest thing most people find to cook. They don't know how to cook it. They don't know what to put in to make it taste fantastic and food should taste fantastic. And so in the back of my book, Self Heal by Design, which you can order off Amazon, I, the recipes I have in the back are all legume recipes. 
your nuts and your seeds. Don't overdo your nuts. Try for about eight to ten per meal. So there's your proteins and healthy fats. What are your healthy fats? They're fats as they come from the hand of the Creator. So there's your nuts and your seeds. And the two oils that we suggest come from the flesh of the plant. So they're easy to extract. Not that I extract them, but I have been in places where I've seen how they traditionally have extracted them. This is why these are the two fats that have been used since time dots, since really creation. And that is your coconut. Depending on where you lived, really, as to what, what, oil, what oil you ate. And the olive oil. Ansel Keys, in 1953, first put forth the theory that fat causes heart disease. But it's never been proven. Dr. Malcolm Kendrick, cardiovascular surgeon, in his book, The Great Cholesterol Con, he shows very clearly it's never been proven. He's got a quote from Ansel Keys where Ansel Keys said, we're sure, we're sure the proof will come. That's not science. That's not science at all. Science doesn't put a theory forth and wait for the for the support or research to prove it. No, that, that makes no sense at all. Dr. Malcolm Kendrick is very scathing of this theory that fat causes heart disease. A lady said to me recently, she said, but, but I was told that when you eat fat, all the blood cells clump together. I said, well, many years ago when I used to do a live blood analysis at our retreat, the fact is over 10 years, I've looked at hundreds of bloods under the microscope. And the only time I see the cells the red blood cells all clumped together was when the person was dehydrated. That's how I know that water is the best blood thinner. And then I would say to them, I'm sorry, I can't look at your blood. The blood is so clumped. Have you had any water today? No, I didn't drink water because I was traveling and I didn't want, want to have to keep stopping. I understand that. I look at their blood a few days later, they're well hydrated now, and now the blood cells are all jumping around, hitting each other. So I know that, that it is not fat that causes the, the blood cells to clump. As when we looked in our fat lecture, there are fats that heal and there are fats that kill. Your killer fats are when too much carbohydrate goes in the body, releasing too much glucose. First of all, it goes to the cell through the energy cycle. Second of all, it is stored as glycogen. Remember the quick release glucose stores that we have here in our little muscle cell. And if there's any le excess left over, and there usually always is in a very high carbohydrate diet, it gets stored as fat. In his book, Wheat Belly, Dr. William Davis, he says, this is like a visceral fat that the body particularly just dumps on the belly. That's why his book is called Wheat Belly. And when the belly's full up and the, and the thighs and the buttocks and the arms, then it starts to go inside and starts to weigh down the internal organs, this type of visceral fat. That, that is not a dangerous fat because we all have a little bit. 
but it's when it's in high amounts. The other types of fats that are dangerous are your animal fats. You see, the majority of poisons, environmental poisons, come in a fat-soluble state, so they're found in the fats of the animals when they're eating grass that's where the fences were sprayed last year with DDT, the, the glyphosate, the Roundup, and the animals are eating it, and then the person that eats that, that animal is getting some of those environmental poisons, plus your altered fats. There's your margarines, there's your heated polyunsaturated fats. If you want to look at that in more detail, please have a look at the fantastic fat presentation and, and you will see it all in detail. But one of the reasons most people stop fat is because of Ansel Keys' theory, which again has never been proven, that fat causes heart disease. So what I'd like to look at now is cholesterol, because we are told that the fat causes the cholesterol levels to go up high and the cholesterol blocks up all the arteries and then the person has a heart attack. Well, 80% of the cholesterol that is made by the liver is made from glucose and 20% of the cholesterol that is made by the liver is made from fat. Now you can see just by this information that it's not the butter on the bread, it's the bread under the butter, it's the high carbohydrate that is causing these excess fats, this excess glucose. There are two main types of cholesterol. One is high-density lipoprotein and the other is low-density lipoprotein. High-density lipoprotein is called the good guy because high-density lipoprotein is the, is the type of cholesterol that is taken back to the liver. It's the carrier. So it carries excess cholesterol back to the liver. That's why it's called the good guy. But LDL, poor LDL, it's called the bad guy. But what you've got to remember is the body doesn't make, it doesn't make anything bad. We've always got to ask our million dollar question, why? Why are they calling LDL bad? Let me show you. But first of all, let's define what it does. LDL is the repairer and the rebuilder. So you're always going to find LDL wherever there's a need to repair and rebuild. Let me show you how it works in the bloodstream. So let's, let's look at one of the main arteries. Because of its low density, LDL is always on the edge. Because of its high density, HDL is always in the middle. Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, in her book, Put Your Heart in Your Mouth, she's investigating the cause of heart disease. In her first three chapters, she defines everything that damages the little endothelium cells that line the arterial wall. Because margarine is a toxic fat, that fat can definitely damage the little endothelium cells. Chemicals, they're probably the most responsible and she spends a fair bit of time defining all the chemicals. Probably the most common that would be in the food chain today is Roundup or glyphosate. They certainly damage the arterial walls, the, the chemicals that are in the cleaning products, the laundry detergents. Please investigate what's in your shampoo. 
Most shampoo has sodium lauryl sulfate. Did you know that sodium lauryl sulfate can kill the hair follicles? Sodium lauryl sulfate is used in most shampoos to cause the foaming, you know, so it all foams up when you wash your hair. We need to become private investigators and investigate all of these areas. So these chemicals are coming in and damaging the arterial walls. Chemicals in the food, chemicals in the laundry detergent. There are 4,000 chemicals in cigarettes. Mercury. Mercury is neurotoxic. It is also cell toxic. It's called cytotoxic. It can damage the endothelium cells. So who's going to plug up the holes? The repairer and the rebuilder. So LDL already sitting on the edge. It comes along and it starts plugging up the holes. If it didn't plug up the holes, we'd just bleed into the tissues and that would eventually kill us. So can you see that God put LDL there for a purpose? But what's happening is the person doesn't realise what all of these things are doing to them. It certainly doesn't tell you that on the packet of your supposedly sweet-smelling laundry detergent. I'm sorry, but it doesn't smell sweet to me. I'm used to, I'm used to essential oils, and when you're used to the to the natural sense of essential oils and you smell some of those laundry detergents, they really don't smell very nice. So what's happening in the arterial wall? It's building up, up. Something else is happening. Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride describes this. Many authors have also described it too. In our bloodstream, there are little protein molecules. On a high carbohydrate diet, high sugar diet, which unfortunately many Americans and Australians are consuming, there's a lot of excess glucose around. And that excess glucose, it sticks to those protein molecules and that becomes sticky. And it sticks to the wall, it's contributing to the buildup. And what happens is, this is the number one cause of heart disease or stroke, is they get dislodged. And they get dislodged and, oh, they block. If the blockage happens in the carotid arteries, there's your, there's your stroke. If the blockage happens in, uh, in the heart, there's your heart attack. That's the number one cause. Is it cholesterol? To blame cholesterol for heart disease is like blaming the fire trucks for the fire. Like blaming the ambulances for the accidents. Well, they must have caused them. They're always there. Can you see the, <clears throat> can you see the reasoning? No, cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease. It's the result of damage to those endothelium cells. So when you're looking at keeping the heart with all diligence, we need to also be looking at the fact that there are some things that must stop. So we looked at this when we looked at the temperance lecture, not taking anything into the body that will harm it and taking in moderation the good things. So what must stop? Your, your damaged fats. The margarine must go. If you're going to cook anything in oil, it must be in the coconut, which does not, does not get damaged by the heat. So your damaged oils are very dangerous oils. It's also very important that you get all the chemicals out of your home, out of your life, out of your shampoo, out of your toothpaste. So the, the chemicals must stop.
alcohol. Alcohol is a dangerous, it's very dangerous to the body. The Australian Health Department, and they said this 15 years ago, there is no safe dose of alcohol. Alcohol damages the, the, the little endothelium cells. Alcohol is a toxic poison. It also thickens the blood. Caffeine. Caffeine causes, it's one of the biggest causes of heart arrhythmia. Why, why does it cause heart arrhythmia? It causes heart arrhythmia or a, an unnatural heartbeat because when caffeine is taken into the body, it creates a crisis response. And you know, in a crisis response, everything's moving very, very fast. The other thing that can cause heart arrhythmia is the hybridized wheat of today. The hybridized wheat of today is very difficult to break down in the gut because it has a, such a complex protein or gluten structure and it can put a little bit of a crisis into the body even to the point that the heart is affected by it. So these things must stop if you want to keep the heart with all diligence. But I'm so glad that God has also given us herbs to restore. And there are some specific herbs that can restore, revive and heal. And that's what I'd like to look at now. So herbs. So we're going to make sure that this does not get mixed up with anything else. <laughs> that's the stop. So we'll go over here to herbs. In Psalm 104 verse 14, God says that he gave herbs for the service of man. And the best heart herb is cayenne pepper. I've had some people say to me, but isn't cayenne pepper a stimulant? Well, it's different to all other stimulants because it stimulates the blood. <laughs> and the blood is the life of the flesh. Anything that stimulates blood is going to be good for the body because the blood contains the life. Cayenne pepper does three things. Cayenne pepper thins the blood. It's a powerful blood thinner. We've had some guests come to us who are on aspirin to thin the blood. The research now is showing that aspirin causes brain bleeds, causes stomach bleeds and it causes eye bleeds. Cayenne pepper does not cause any bleeds. In fact if cayenne pepper is going through your through your arteries and your veins and it finds any bleeding, it'll seal the, the bleeding blood vessel. How come it can thin the blood and yet seal bleeding blood vessels? Well, God said that he gave herbs for the service of man. So the cane pepper comes in and says, where would you like me? I'll thin this blood. Oops, I'll seal off that bleeding blood vessel. It's a powerful herb. The book Back to Eden by Jethro Kloss, he devotes half a page to every herb and he devotes 10 pages to cayenne pepper. It's a powerful herb. Cayenne pepper not only thins the blood, it strengthens the arterial walls. So anyone who has had damage from all the things that we talked about that caused the damage, they can be repaired. And cayenne pepper helps to repair that. The third thing that the cayenne pepper does is it opens the capillaries. So you get a more powerful, effective flow of blood through the whole body. That's what cayenne pepper does. 
How do you take it? You can begin with a quarter of a teaspoon in a little water three times daily. If you take it with your meals, it'll certainly help your digestion by boosting even more digestive enzymes three times daily. In the book Back to Eden by Jethro Kloss, there's a couple of testimonies from, from doctors who have used cayenne pepper. One doctor said it's impossible to abuse it and the other doctor said it will never cause a lesion. It might feel like it's burning. I like to call it a tickle. <laughs> but it, it certainly settles down very quickly. We had a lady at one of our recent health retreats and she saw the importance of ceasing her blood thinners, but she could not handle the cayenne pepper, so she took it in a capsule form. I think it's a pity to take it in a capsule form because when you take it by mouth, every part of the body that it touches is benefiting. But it is an option if a person finds it difficult. The other herb is the hawthorn berry. The hawthorn berry is an English herb. Quite a bit is growing down the bottom part of Australia. You might even find the hawthorn berry growing in cooler parts of the US. But the hawthorn berry strengthens the heart. The hawthorn berry brings the heart back into balance. So if someone does have heart arrhythmia, these things are stopped. These simple lifestyle principles are included or begun in their life. They take the cayenne pepper and the hawthorn berry that can help to restore that heart function. It's a very safe herb. You can even use it in conjunction with other medication. But what I say to people is implement it straight away. And as you implement the life, ensuring fresh air, sunshine every day, stop all the things that hurt, early nights, remember, eight hours, eight hours sleep a night. You want to keep your heart with all diligence, you have to have eight hours sleep every night. No, not from midnight to 8 a.m., ideally 9 to 5. You might go a little earlier or a little later, but try and go no later than 10. 10 is the absolute latest. Because if you go any later, you're missing out on all the amazing things that are happening in your brain, in your body while you sleep. The hawthorn berry can be taken in quite large amounts. I had a man recently said, I'm taking the hawthorn berry, it's not doing anything. He was on 350 milligrams a day. If you, if you want to heal your heart, if you want to strengthen it because it has been weakened or it's not working as well as you'd like it, you can take up to 4,000 milligrams a day. Very safe herb. How do you take it? You can get the berries and you can make a tea. And if you do get the berries and make a tea, it's two teaspoons to one cup. And because it's a berry, it needs to have a gentle simmer. Simmer for about 10 minutes and then let it cool. Let it cool right down. Right down. So if you want to take the hawthorn berry as an alternative, you would have at least four cups a day of that tea. 
You can get it in a tablet form, you can get it in a capsule form. A lot of people find that just a little bit more uh, convenient. I thank God for the herbs that can come in and strengthen and restore. Let me finish with the story of Henry who came to our retreat. He was a retired judge. He was on many medications. He was on cholesterol lowering medication. By the way, the side effect of that is memory loss and Alzheimer's, which I don't know anyone that wants. He also found that, that it took him a little while, but he got used to drinking more water. He started exercising. After four months, he contacted me. See, he was on blood pressure medication, blood thinning, blood cholesterol. He was on a whole range. He said after four months, he went back to the doctor. He'd lost uh, 20 kilos in four months, so that's 40 pounds. And he also uh, had his blood pressure taken. His blood pressure was back to normal. His blood thinning was back to normal. Everything was back to normal. So his doctor took him off the medication. He implemented the life. He took the herbs and his doctor took him off all the medication. I believe it is our responsibility to prove to our doctor that we can manage this amazing body that God gave us, that we can keep the heart with all diligence and even the issues of life.